podcast. My name's Ellen. And my name is Mel. In each episode, we take a look at a different trope or subgenre in the huge collection of Destiel fanfiction. And today, we're going to be taking a dive into the dark world of murder husbands. To discuss her fanfiction, and in particular, Red Right Hand, we would like to welcome author Ducky Boots. <laughs> Hi, Ducky. Hi. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, we're very excited. Um, the other fix we're going to discuss today, apart from Red Right Hand, are Dirty Laundry by, uh, now I don't know how to pronounce um, this author's name, but I think we're thinking it's VIP July, or it could be BIP July. I'm so sorry that we get, if we're getting that wrong, but yes. Um, and the other one is From Grace and Uniform, which is by Sultan Halo and Thursday's Wayward Writer. And we need to give a bit of a warning today um, because of the fix that we're talking about today. Obviously, we're going to be discussing some adult topics and including murder, basically extreme violence. And we're also going to, we can't really talk about mystery and murder without giving away spoilers. So listen on at your own risk and don't say that we didn't warn you. Uh, links to all of the fix that we'll be talking about today will be available in this episode's post on mixtapebookclub.com and included in our collection on AO3. Okay, so Murder Husbands, you guys are going to have to tell me all about this because I am a new um, Murder Husbands, you know, fan um, and I don't really know much about it at all apart from the fix I've just read for it. So go ahead. <laughs> well, where did you first come across it, Ducky? Um, I th- I'm pretty certain. Well, actually, if I'm going to be um, really, really lame about this. Um, <laughs> Please go ahead. Origi- go <laughs> <laughs> I, I will be. Um, well, well, obviously Hannibal was, was a huge, huge thing um, in terms of murder husbands. Um, but my sort of first idea... Um, was or the first thing that I kind of saw as murder partners is actually one of my favorite um books that was adapted into a horror movie um which would be Hellbound Heart which ended up becoming Hellraiser um and bizarrely obviously it's a it's a horror film people know it's a horror film but I've always viewed it and the author and the director of the film um Clive Barker reckons as well that it's a romantic story um so I don't know how much people know about the movie or the book, um, but at its sort of core, um, it's these two people or this one guy who, who sort of gets his his um, sister-in-law to fall in love with him and he ends up messing with this box that opens all these this crazy world, pain, pleasure, all this BDSM goodness. And um, <laughs> he ends up dying for it and she commits all these murders at his behest to bring him back to life and that Mm. idea has always fascinated me um (laughs) i just it's it's kind of a graphic horror movie but at the same time there's this kind of lovely um beautiful love story running through it um so yeah so that's kind of i've always found that those kind of uh that dynamic really interesting but yeah hannibal definitely uh popularized it as far as i'm aware so yeah I'm actually just making a little note for myself that I need to look up the book that Hellraiser was based on. <laughs> <laughs> it's dead short. Little side it's, just, it's, it's only a novella. Um, and it's dead short. So, 
Um, I think it's on Kindle for like a couple of quid or something. So it's it's definitely oh, worth it. I'll have to do it. Yeah, he's a great writer a as well. Horror movie <laughs> junkie generally, and yeah. also like the worse the horror movie is, the more I like it usually. <laughs> like, <laughs> if, it's, if it's a good horror movie, then yes, it's enjoyable. But there's something extra special about a really really terrible one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, in so that case, I you should watch the entire Hellraiser series because honestly, the first one is like, as far as I'm concerned, the pinnacle, and then it's all downhill from there. And there've been ten. <laughs> I want to say I've seen like four of them. Maybe? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, and then I like just kind of gave up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably wise. <laughs> yeah, they, they really go downhill after like the third one. It's just kind of like off a cliff. Um, but the first one, the idea is is really kind of beautiful in a really morbid way. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. oh, interesting. And I think a lot of um, kind of like the murder husband's trope in in like it's it's almost inextricably linked with horror and horror movies because you do have that kind of quite often serial killer aspect. But I guess yeah, we we do have a lot to thank uh, Hannibal for <laughs> when it comes. to I mean they. <laughs> The, the, the entire name of it ended up becoming the name for their ship so you know mm-hmm. definitely can't ignore them when it comes to to murder husbands so but i think and there are several different um kind of descriptions and, and tags that are used on things like um fan lore and stuff like that for murder husbands um so it, i think previously it, it did exist but it was kind of there wasn't necessarily a unified name for it or it was called various other things yeah and uh and then hannibal came along and just gave us the perfect name <laughs> for a serial killer slash ship basically yeah, yeah. surely it was around before that <laughs> it was and i think mostly before that it was just tagged as um a serial killer au or um sometimes um just an evil au like people wouldn't necessarily specify um and then i think there were there used to be a tag that was something like till murder do us part or something um Mm. but that there was but that can be used in different ways because sometimes that's used if one of them kills the other at the end um whereas with murder husbands ones that's very rarely the case (laughs) like usually they're both alive and pretty damn pleased with themselves by the end of it (laughs) so um but yeah to till murder do us part is a very closely related trope i guess yeah i mean at its heart it's sort of it's it's still romance like there is still almost a obsessive uh love story going on in these figs right yeah it's that kind of very heavy obsessive love to the point where this person would kill for you yep. very literally <laughs> so and drag the other person along with them <laughs> definitely very romantic in that way though mm. if you would consider it romance if it was turned towards you is a whole other question but <laughs> clearly these yeah. people clearly these yeah. people dig it so <laughs> i'm kind of fascinated by this psychology of it in a way because um i'm used to reading a lot of you know fluffy kind of romance where you know people don't want to murder each other or, or other people obviously but um i find that the actual the intensity of the feelings is seems to be a lot more um because they're they're so <laughs> um 
I guess, obsessed with the, with the other person that they will do literally anything. And I guess you bring in that kind of psychopathic tendency that it's just really interesting. Like I wouldn't normally, I don't like listening to, you know, murder podcasts or watching the um, documentaries or anything about serial killers. But now I'm like really kind of intrigued by the whole thing, I have to admit. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated by like the psychology of all of it. Yeah, so. yeah I think it's really interesting as well. Actually, another book um, I should have mentioned before is um, one called um, that's probably a really good uh, place to start as well with murder husbands is um, Exquisite Corpse by Poppy uh, Z. Bright, um, which mm-hmm. is about two serial killers, one from the US, uh, one from the UK, and they're actually based on real serial killers. Um, who end up meeting and falling in love and it ends pretty badly um, but it's the kind of murder literal murder husbands um, when they meet so that's kind of interesting as well it's a really good look because um, it, it does it from their point of view and the point of view of some of their victims as well um, so that's a really interesting book to look into um, as well mm. interesting okay <clears throat> getting some book recommendations today i like it <laughs> I think as well, one of the, I, I read it somewhere earlier that, that phrased it really well and now I've clicked away from where it was and I can't find it. Um, but there was somebody writing about how um, traditionally they used to have these fixed tagged evil AUs and then you've now got this very specific subset that's murder husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the time, the w- one of the defining characteristics of the murder husbands fix is that we're almost (laughs) that you can kind of walk the line of making these characters sympathetic but at no point are you supposed to make them redeemable um, because you've actually kind of broken the contract of it being a murder husband's AU if you do that (laughs) and I thought that was quite interesting then that people probably have different takes on that Um, because the the whole point of it is that these are not characters that you're supposed to like it's like the, the pinnacle of an unlikable protagonist but you are in some way still supposed to understand them like they still have to be like they still have to in some way be the characters that we kind of know and love or why would we be reading it right yeah and uh i was really interested in all of the stories that we did today like how the different um authors managed to do that like managed to make us still love these characters even though they're doing things that are completely irredeemable in almost all cases i think a lot of that probably centers around um, their motives for why they're doing what they're doing and I was really interested to see that we had a like three very different motives in the fix that we picked so that was excellent okay so which one do we want to start with can we tell that I'm excited I'm like yeah. <laughs> ah, it's one of my favorite tropes to talk about would you like to start with red right hand then yes let's dive in at the deep end Okay, so Red Right Hand um, by Ducky Booth was published in uh, 2015. It's 85,000 words long and it's rated explicit. Um, Ducky, would you mind reading the summary for us? Uh, Yeah. So, you're one microscopic cog in his catastrophic plan, designed and directed by his red right hand. It all starts with a mysterious note left on Dean's chair. It all ends with Dean coming to terms, not only with what he's capable of, but how much that knowledge doesn't bother him. Okay, Mel, go for it. 
I know this is your favorite girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'd like, I didn't want to like freak Ducky out at the pass by like <laughs> fangirling immediately the moment I, I spoke. But this is actually 100% definitely my favorite Destiel fanfic ever. So out of the 100,000 or so that we have out there on AO3. <laughs> Um, <laughs> is it embarrassing to say that I think I've probably read this fic about 50 times? <laughs> <laughs> An embarrassing amount of your hit count is probably me, so <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, that's awesome. That's, uh, I had no idea it was anyone's favourite fic, so to know it's yours is, is absolutely awesome. It is, it is. Like, uh, well, I've been trying to get Ellen to read this fic for... <laughs> I don't know, probably three years now. <laughs> like anybody who knows me and who has had any interaction on the level of like fic wrecks with me knows that at some point <laughs> I'm going to inevitably bring up this story. <clears throat> so. <sighs> okay, so now I've got that out of the way and I've embarrassed myself. <laughs> Red right hand, first of all, do we want to, we're doing spoilers, yeah? Yeah. Good. Okay. We warned for that earlier, so. Excellent. Okay. So I guess a a very vague summary for people. Uh, we have we, we begin with Dean. Um, he is working in a library. It actually begins the way I guess a lot of we've got quite a lot of different AUs um, in this fandom that start off with libraries and Dean and he's just eating a slice of pie and he's having a great day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not like I, I think that's part of the the charm of the first chapter for me is how very mundane it is at the beginning and you're just like yep this is this is life this is normal this is perfectly fine um yep. the, the 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 twist with this one I guess is that Dean in the library Dean starts receiving notes from this mysterious J character um Almost, almost simultaneously as as Cass turns up for the first time in the story. Hmm, curious. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so I guess my first question is: is what was your like? Can you tell us about the the inspiration for Jay and the notes? And because it's it's kind of a trope in itself. They're not one that you see done very often. But I know there's been a couple of kind of movies or books that have had similar-ish kind of concepts in them. So tell us where it came from please <laughs> well um i i kind of love the idea of adults um passing notes in class you know like that kind of teenage thing where you pass notes in class and it's this it's this kind of wholesome crush kind of thing and i really like the idea of um sort of perverting that a little bit um and making it a little bit more sinister I suppose um so yeah I'm 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 a massive fan um of literature which um I kind of bludgeon people over the head with in a lot of my fix um but yeah so I really wanted to incorporate something like that and that's why um and that's why specific books were used and specific uh references were used throughout um but yes it, it really all started with that idea of these little innocent or notes that could be perceived as innocent but obviously as you get through they really aren't and they're sort of leading Dean down this path um so yeah that's that's where I started that really no so it's like a wholesome crush apart from in this case it's not really that wholesome at all but 
Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a crush, but it ain't wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked the, um, that the, like the first few chap- couple of chapters started out so sweet, like with Cass wanting to look after Dean and take, you know, make sure he wasn't hurt. And there's a, a lovely kind of hurt comfort side to this one as well in the beginning, even though, um, you know, the f- obviously I, I didn't know anything going into this apart from the Mal like poking me going, where are you up to? Where are you up to? So I knew something was coming, <laughs> but um, I got the feeling like this kind of anxious kind of feeling quite early on from like a creepy vibe from Cass. Like it was, it was too convenient that he was there time you know so Mm. it was juxtaposed with this kind of really sweet kind of um you know almost love at first sight thing yeah I mean I'm I'm a massive fan of um I probably shouldn't say this but I'm a massive fan of giving away um endings in the first couple of chapters Uh Um, (laughs) so any anything like this that I I write so it's the same with number one crush as well um I I basically tell you who it is at the beginning and then try and work backwards from there um, mm-hmm. so yeah so I, I love I love making people very suspicious um, of the characters straight off it's well you did fun. a great job of that because I was <laughs> definitely <laughs> like something's up with this guy what is it <laughs> yeah I think one of my favorite things about this story um, even the very first time I read it was it, it's not so much that you're putting together like who, who it is or anything like that like you know but yeah, you're trying it's... to work out how, and you're trying mm. to also like there's almost this very endearing quality where you're desperately just trying to see how much Cass can get away with, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like you're just kind of like waiting for Dean to catch on, but at the same time, like you want to see how far Cass is going to be able to push this before he does. Mm-hmm. And there is also like the escalating kind of nature of it. Like the further you go in, the more. Dean is kind of losing his mind about the whole thing and the more, um, I guess, violent their uh, interactions get. Yeah, I um, I wanted, obviously, the whole point, or I should I say one of the points I was trying to make um, with it was that, obviously, Cass is, is trying to show Dean um, who, he, who he is and how he's not the person he thought he was, how he's stronger than he he initially thinks he is at the beginning because obviously he, you know I think there's a it's been a long time since I've read it to be honest and a long time since <laughs> I've written it um but from what I remember there's a there's a bit where um he's under the bridge um doing one of the notes whilst Cass is supposedly at home waiting for him and um and he you know Dean's sort of berating himself saying you know are you just gonna let this everything just keep passing you by you're gonna keep being this way and um and I, I love the idea of Cass sort of whether for better or worse, I guess it's probably worse um, in real life, really. Um, <laughs> trying to pull Dean, this this kind of um, side of Dean out. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, uh, it's it's really interesting doing that. And like like we were saying at the beginning, um, the psychology of it all is is always fascinating to me as well. So yeah, I think Cass's motives come across very nicely in this fic because even though there's there's absolutely no question that Cass is very clearly quite a twisted individual <laughs> um, it's it, in a way if you, if you kind of 
strip away how he's doing it. He he tries to give Dean parts of himself back that were mm. taken from him and make him stronger and give him his freedom back. And and those are all good things. Obviously the way that he executes those is is <laughs> you know <laughs> execute being like the so, key word that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> puts the cute in execute (laughs) sure does (laughs) um i know you said it had been a while since you had um written this one it's been six years a while Mm. um but we did have a question um from we're in we've got like our own channel in the um profound bond discord server which is like the big destiel server and we had yeah. one question from oh god now i'm gonna say another person's name wrong um Zubinox, <laughs> i'm sorry um had a question for you to say that um how is the research and planning process for this sort of fic um different from writing another fic like i guess this is a um it's basically a mystery like a you know psychological thriller type mystery do you have like a really um detailed planning process for this kind of fic or does it organically Um, come out um it's completely organic Um, (laughs) i am the worst for planning um if i if i plan something in my head like so if i go right i need this at the beginning this at the middle this at the end i get bored i go right i've written it now (laughs) Uh, so i i literally just wing it um which is generally why i don't have betas because i think i drive people crazy um (laughs) i (laughs) had (laughs) <laughs> for number one crush I had a very very brave soul um, friend of Carlotta who who sat there with me very patiently saying are you sure you want to do this is it okay right are you sure about this um, but yeah I, I was literally I didn't tell her which way I was going with it until we were about halfway through I think because I was like oh I could change this or I could do this mm-hmm. um, so yeah there's, there isn't really much of a process um, which I'm, I'm really sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I just kind of go whichever way I think. I mean, obviously, I always, I always start with the idea that they, they're going to end up together. Um, so that was, that was always the goal with this fic is that they, Dean was going to end up with Cass, um, and it was, it was going to be really psychotic. Um, but yeah, I didn't really have a roadmap getting there. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I, I know. Um, and for research and stuff, I know bits um, already about the law. Um, I have a law degree, um, which people find hilarious because obviously I'm, <laughs> <You're writing about laughs> I'm very... They will say that like lawyers yeah. and police officers would make the best serial killers, yeah. right? Because <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we know all the loopholes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, that's, I'm just waffling on now, but um, that's a, a theme in my in a few of my fixes that this disillusionment with um the law and its its limitations and i think that's kind of a big one in this because obviously dean um cass's big thing is that the law and everyone dean turned to for help let him down and so let's try it this way now mm-hmm. um but yeah so so going back to your question um i have some base knowledge of a few things and um i have studied criminology as well so i again going back to the psychology of of serial killer so i kind of start there and and i'm probably on quite a few watch lists by now (laughs) um (laughs) 
so <laughs> there's that too um but yeah so i don't think that really answers the question much but um i hope it sort of no, that's good. No, I yeah, think no, it's really valid though. Like you have your <laughs> you have your planners and you have your pencils and you have everything in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. And I think it's probably okay that you're on a few watch lists. I think almost all fanfic writers end up yeah. end up on <laughs> on a list at some point. Yeah, exactly. You're doing something wrong if the FBI isn't watching you. This <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a point where I was writing a story and it was one that was based on a horror movie. Like I was adapting it into a case fic. And there was literally a point where I stopped writing mid-sentence and I was like, if anybody came in right now, I, at, at best I would be in therapy, at worst I would be in prison. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it just kind of suddenly hit me on that one and I was like, well, it's okay, I'm in good company. I think. <laughs> like I've looked up like the prices of guns and stuff and the, the, the chambers and stuff and obviously in the UK, you know, we don't have really the the same gun culture as the US and and so it's I'm sure it's I'm definitely being watched by several <laughs> agencies um, just in case well, we appreciate your dedication <laughs> yeah, I hope they're enjoying this, the um you know the gay sex yeah exactly yeah I'll just keep forwarding them like oh look here we go it's it's yeah. amazing it's amazing smart by the way thank you <laughs> yeah make sure the sexy bits are, are very good thanks <laughs> Well. You just imagine being like an FBI analyst and you're like, oh God, it's one of these people again. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Maybe that strikes you off their list if they start reading and then you go, oh, it's the porn again. Okay. <laughs> Put it oh, on the list. It's another gay sex one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm having flashbacks to that story now where Cass, I'm going to have to find it because I'm now talking about it and, and link it somewhere. Um, there's a story out there where Cass is exactly that. He works for... I think it might have been the CIA, I can't remember, one organisation, um, and his job is literally to watch Dean. <laughs> so, oh dear. So. Yep, yep. Which once again just proves that anything can be fanfic, so and yeah. that was a really, really well done one. And is. Anything can and will be, mm-hmm. in, especially in Destiel because we've just got so much of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it has its own like rule of the internet because it's such an expensive thing now. Like once you're into six figures worth of fic, that there's nothing that's not out there somewhere. Uh-huh. I think, mm. and we're so lucky for it. I, as I mentioned earlier, heavily pressured you into reading this one <laughs> as as the as the first one. So, what was your favourite part of the story? Because I'm just curious whether it's the same as mine or not. Really? <laughs> uh, um, look, I. I'm not, okay. I'm not a fan of like, usually a fan of really of graphic kind of violent stuff. Like I don't, I'm not mm-hmm. into. I can't read like torture scenes and stuff like that very easily. So, um, I will admit I did kind of skim over some of the skim, yeah, more more <laughs> graphic scenes. But um, I did. I when I got to, I did scream in your DMs about this, Mel. I, when I got to the part, yep. that, So this is a spoiler. So if you're trying to avoid them, like skip over a bit um when they got to the church and Alistair was there on the cross and everything and I just I was like okay this is the scene this fic was written for was that is that the case <laughs> because it felt like everything that had been building up to that like point when you hit that part oh yep <laughs> <laughs> it was very um like yeah built built up and up and I was like on the edge of my seat going oh my god um yeah 
I really I enjoyed the um, the tension of that. It was great. <laughs> was that something that you specifically like envisioned ahead of time, Ducky, or did that just kind of happen as you were writing it? Um, I knew that I wanted there to be a confrontation with Alistair where um, either Dean or Cass um, killed him, but I wasn't sure exactly where I was going to place it. Um, funnily enough, the, the bit that I actually um, was kind of building to, I suppose, through that was um, Cass discover, like fully realising exactly who, you know, Dean fully realising who Cass was, um, which I think occurs in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, I felt like that was sort of, once once Alistair was out of the way, then Dean could sort of start, because I think he was very sort of clouded by that, um, that Alistair was alive and, oh my God, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? Um, and so once he was out of the way, he was then able to focus on all the red flags yeah. <laughs> that Cass had been throwing up, all the stuff that he'd sort of been pushing to the back of his mind because he really desperately wanted to trust him and he had other things to worry about with Alistair and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely wanted that church scene to happen and that, that was, I knew it was going to happen one way or another and I love the idea of obviously Alistair being tied in a similar way to um, On the Head of a Pin. Um, yeah. Obviously it's not exactly the same, but I, I like that kind of imagery um, and so, yeah, that's, so I was I was sort of going for that but it, it started off kind of hazy and it was only a couple of chapters before that I realised I wanted to do it that way yeah I mean that scene in the in that episode in the actual show is so um kind of raw and mm. you know uh, so much emotion in that in for all of them like in in Cass and Dean in the mm. actual show so for it to be reflected in in this way was really effective I thought um just heightened your kind of oh what, what's going to happen here because we know what happens in the show like with Dean sort of mm. torturing yeah. him and stuff so yeah, well done. I liked that. Thank you. Yeah, oh, the tension in that scene was excellent because that's really, I was going to say the point of no return. I mean, honestly, the first note was probably the point of no return, but <laughs> it, um, <clears throat> like at that point, it's not like, like Dean can't pretend that he's on the periphery of any of it from that point onwards. Mm. Like he can't kind of say that he didn't have anything to do with it, that it was all cast. Like his own yeah. decisions come into play at that point, and um, I don't know. I just every time I read the book, I'm like racing to get to that scene because I'm just like, yes, <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I was sort of reading it through between my fingers, you know, like this is how I watch horror movies as well. <laughs> hiding between things, going, oh, what's gonna happen? But yeah, that one was good. <laughs> No, it's still kind of on the topic of that scene, though. I do think that that's one of the of my favorite scenes because it kind of very carefully illustrates that even though this this whole story and you've had all these different horrific things happen, and and you also find out really in the next chapter um, that there are even more terrible things that be going on in the background that maybe Dean was just not paying attention to um, because he was was far too busy freaking out <laughs> about um, <laughs> Alistair and everything else but even so even through all of that it casts still kind of <sighs> Dean is the one in charge during that scene like yes Cass mm-hmm. ends up 
guiding him. Like we're definitely <laughs> we're definitely in like full full spoiler territory. Here. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was even at that point, it was never about Cass. Like Cass isn't the like you've got different types of of killer, right? Like air quotes. You've got like killers that kill like for pleasure, killers that kill for whatever. But you one hundred percent kind of can can see very literally in that scene from that point onwards in the fic that this was all about Dean. Like, there wasn't really, like, like Cass wasn't choosing these people or doing these acts through, like, his own preference. There, there was always a reason, and it was always Dean. Which is incredibly creepy, but then again comes back <laughs> to that kind of, like, very intense, obsessive passion, which is kind of the, the I guess, like, hallmark of these types of stories. Um, I did get a question sent to me from... Dun, dun, dun. So it's, it's more of a general one, but they, they specifically reference this story. Mm-hmm. Um, their question was from Sammy on Twitter. Hey, Sammy. Um, so, obviously, this um, Red Right Hand leans really heavily into all the, the serial killer tropes. Like, we, we get it. We get it in graphic detail. Um, so, <laughs> why do we think... Um, people enjoy reading this stuff so much. Um, I wonder that too, you know, sometimes, because I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) As you're the one here who doesn't enjoy reading us. (laughs) Obviously, it's the romance that, in particular for this, like, I guess not all of them end, have a happy ending, happy romantic ending, but, like, um, yeah, I'm just fascinated by how many people, like, even Hannibal, I can't, I can't watch it because it's too graphic for me um but yes there's it's there's a very big fan base for it so i'm i'm intrigued i mean i can i can speak about it in terms of just research i've done out of pure like curiosity like the psychological aspect of it just in terms of like people who enjoy serial killer stories movies that kind of stuff it's pretty much serial killers are for adults what monster movies are for children so mm-hmm. there's there's almost a spike of adrenaline there. Like people go on roller coasters, right? People jump off bridges and do like crazy bungee jumping things, all that kind of stuff. And it all kind of comes down to the same thing. Like we're doing something that inherently in your brain, your brain is going to tell you not to do or that is bad or that is taboo in some way. Um, and, and this kind of thing kind of comes down to the same thing, apart from it's a very safe way to experience that kind of thing. Because all you're doing is reading about other people doing crazy things, and it's going to spike your adrenaline because it threatens your sense of safety. Because you know that, like, this, this all these, these crazy things are, are happening. Okay, and thank goodness they're not happening to you. They're not happening in real life, but you're reading about them, and it's just enough it's just enough to threaten your sense of safety enough that you're compelled to go onwards and to read more. And mm. that was quite interesting. I also found the slightly terrifying statistic when I was reading that, which I have never forgotten, that at any given time, there are at least 25 active serial killers in the US. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's comforting. <laughs> I think I actually used that statistic in one of my other fics years ago it was one of the very first fics I wrote and I used that statistic and I remember people commenting below going oh my god is that true yeah (laughs) (laughs) terrifying (laughs) it 
it actually says a lot about the US media that we don't hear a lot more about serial killers. <laughs> like, if there's 25 out there at all times, why aren't we hearing more about it? Yeah. Hmm. I, I'm interested in the Australian statistics now. <laughs> I'm sure we've got them, I just don't know. I haven't heard about them. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've only read US statistics for that, because um, I'm assuming they would be my primary search results when I looked it up, but people in other countries, <laughs> let us know how many serial killers do you have at any given time. <laughs> well, I think America is just, I mean, obviously I don't know much about Australia, to be honest, but I, certainly in comparison to the UK with America, it's just the, like, the expanse, isn't it? It just, it's so easy to, to yeah. travel from one place to another completely undetected. I just, I think, you know, um, Neil Gaiman's American Gods is just like the pinnacle of this idea of the road stretching out like past anything you can really imagine and mm-hmm. I always just I've never actually been to the US or anything like that um, I've only ever been to Europe so we're all like so so caged in um, but just that idea of being able to do like this kind of infinite possibilities all these roads stretching out in front of you it's like if you're that way inclined like why not <laughs> You know, that, easy to yeah, disappear kind of weird but just mm-hmm. yeah exactly just do what you want kind of thing there have been so many serial killers who've um got away with it for for years and years just by just by like driving and driving and and sort of switching up mo's and stuff it's fascinating mm-hmm. yeah slightly unnerving but fascinating yeah <laughs> <laughs> And to, me, to turn it back to a supernatural perspective, though, I, there are people in the show that think that about Sam and Dean, though, if you think about it, because, yeah. again, they are officially, in canon, known as serial killers. They're also officially dead, probably several times by now. But <laughs> it's the same thing with them being on the road and switching up identities and being able to, exactly. you know, yeah. they, they may be killing the right things by our moral standards mm. but they're still doing the same things any other serial killer would do yeah, yeah. exactly I, for years I've wanted to write one from like the perspective of someone who sees them roll into town and then roll out again and like people are dead and they're like what are these guys doing you know because from <laughs> outside of perspectives like you said they are just serial killers um, I, I find that so so fascinating it's such a cool element of the show that isn't ever really looked at Hmm. Yeah, I mean it does. They do sort of skate around the the moral aspects of it when you know the Dean kills like Amy Pond and whatever in that that one episode, mm. and which I hated by the way. I, when I watched that, I was like, why? No, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know they they do address that kind of moral kind of are we doing the right thing, and then eventually obviously mm. Dean starts being okay with leaving good guy, good monsters alive kind of thing. Yeah and I think at one point in canon there was more question about like possessed people like the people that are intrinsically involved with these monsters and I think yeah. at one point they did kind of briefly question <laughs> the morality <laughs> of killing these people but that, they kind of seemed to forget about that over yeah, the years. <laughs> then they just hand waved <laughs> it and went oh if you're possessed by a demon you're already dead <laughs> so it's okay yeah. we'll just stab them yeah. it's fine <laughs> even though that was yeah. 100% not true earlier on in the show but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is why I really liked when Sam had like his his blood powers or whatever 
and he could pull demons out of people without killing them. And I thought that was really cool. <laughs> and then they just yeah. kind of went, eh, stabbing's better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, Sam was a little crazy and things weren't great, but there <laughs> yeah. were definitely some pros to that story. Yeah, like. yeah, there were. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ducky, what were you saying? Like, no, I was just going to say, like, they made that massive deal about um, Meg, didn't they? How they, mm-hmm. how they killed Meg and how she fell out the window and blah, blah, blah. And then in, like, um, the raising of the witnesses at the beginning of season four, like, that was her whole sort of reason for being so angry at them, was that yeah. she was alive in there. And then, as you say, they just sort of went, ah, it doesn't matter. Like, they just, yeah. as you say, hand-waved it away. And I'm always just like, no, that's such a cool idea. Like, just just keep it, keep Sam with his, his boy-kingness and his blood and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think as as a show, like the characters are the most interesting when they're being morally grey or when that's being like looked at closely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like that was a lot of fun for me, rather than just hand waving it. But, yeah. Oh well, that's why we write fanfic, right? <laughs> yeah. well, it gives us a lot to play with, really. I mean, when all these yeah. things have have happened and then kind of got forgotten about, and then we go, well, what if they just kept that for a little longer? <laughs> All right. Did anybody else have any thoughts specifically on why they enjoy reading this kind of stuff, or, or in your case, avoiding it, Ellen? <laughs> <laughs> no, I already told you it's because I'm a big softy. <laughs> um, I think um, it can. I think you're completely right. I think it can be a, a form of catharsis for a lot of people. Um, just this, uh, just addressing certain issues um it, that that you can't necessarily address elsewhere like obviously we, we drew the the line between like horror and this trope and i'm that horror as a wider thing deals with a lot of social issues that other genres don't really tackle in the same way like i always think of of you know like um the original uh, dawn of the dead um and night of the living dead and all that tackling like race issues social issues so i just i feel like murder husbands in a way is sort of making that pointing out the extremities oh god i can't even speak extremities sorry it's like nearly two o'clock in the morning here um (laughs) (laughs) extremities of of love and these these depth of feelings that we have that sometimes can be well that, that are always very toxic but uh taboo as well um, and I think it's a safe way of sort of looking at it really through thick. Yeah it's, it's a safe way to look at terrible things and I think humans yeah. in general like a, a huge swathes of humans do have the urge to examine more closely the things that they know are wrong or that they're afraid of. I mean it's, it's like the same question like why does everybody stop to look at car crashes right? Mm. Like they know they're not going to want to see what what is actually there but they still want to see and they still want to look which I think is is the same with um, serial killers really like we can it's a perfectly safe way to sit there and read your fic or listen to your podcast or watch your documentary or whatever um, to kind of get that experience in a perfectly safe healthy way (laughs) it's it's all part of the human condition whether we like it or not like people um, serial killers aren't monsters they're just people um, who who are either wired slightly differently or have different priorities. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's I think I always find it's really fascinating to sort of pull that apart and and look at people under a microscope and go actually how different is this person from you? like 
how different is Ted Bundy from the next person? Like, what what's the you know he was a, he he was he had kids and stuff like this, and I, I find that the scariest thing of all really is how not monster like they are guy. you know yeah <laughs> yeah human. yeah just a dude man like <laughs> on a like a, a general like a uh, serial killer note i guess i think um part of my fascination came from um back when i lived in england um i spent a while living in gloucester and i lived on a very famous street known as Cromwell street whereas i know um there is, there's a <laughs> some very famous serial killers in England called Fred and Rose West, which is where they lived (laughs) and where a lot of their bodies were stashed. (laughs) Um, Which, interestingly enough, I did not know this before renting the flat that I rented. (laughs) But but it was like a very strange, like little rabbit hole that I tumbled down because um, the, the building that they had lived in and obviously that a lot of their crimes had been committed in, um, the city had, I had completely raised it um, quite a few years before. Um, so you, you've got this like perfect old row of houses because it's quite quite old buildings in that area of the city. Mm-hmm. And then there's one just like missing completely in the middle of the in the mm-hmm. middle of this row. And so me being like nosy, I was just like, what happened to the house? <laughs> and then I noticed, you know, there was like a little plaque there kind of just mm-hmm. and then that sent me down a rabbit hole. So inadvertently moving into that dodgy cheap student level flat in Gloucester (laughs) (laughs) started started me down this this road of being interested in um all these kinds of of, of true crime serial killer type things which somehow ended up with me being obsessed with murder husband's fix so you know (laughs) a decade later (laughs) well interestingly enough um it's actually a really similar story for me I grew up in um Hereford which um, oh. is literally like a couple of towns along from Gloucester. Um, and the, Fred and Rose West were tried at Hereford, Hereford Crown Court. Um, so I grew up in um, that, that kind of shadow as well. Um, and I was always fascinated by just how brutal they were. Um, I think everyone sort of focuses a little bit more on um, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley, but I always find that Fred mm-hmm. and Rose West were infinitely uh, worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. They so were it's pretty... interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. It kind of makes you sort of walk, like I was at the supermarket yesterday, sort of looking around at people going, I wonder if any of you are a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're all just humans. They... Yeah. Buy toothpaste and pasta and stuff, just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's got their own kind of secrets. I mean, they wouldn't have thought that I, a middle-aged mother of two, would be reading serial killer porn in the morning and then go to the shops in the afternoon. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> See, I think that's I think that's like what's different for me and that and that I love like if I'm sitting on a train or in like a coffee shop or something I'm always constantly making up stories in my head about all of the people around me and <laughs> yes. they are generally like much more of the fun kind <laughs> I'm yeah. just like oh that innocent looking old woman over there I bet she's reading some like wolf porn on her Kindle right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like to think that that kind of stuff is true more often than we think it is. Like people are. It's got to be right. <laughs> there's, there's some kind of I don't know the term for it. There's like a psychological like phenomenon thing about 
there's a, a word specifically for realizing that everybody is the main character in their own story and that yeah. they have an entire story and life going on that you are just like blipping into for like a brief second oh my god we're gonna have existential crisis in the middle of this yeah <laughs> <laughs> at least we're not just yelling about cats for once <laughs> it's true okay <clears throat> oh okay right. anyway <laughs> shall, we shall we move on to our second story <laughs> So the next fic that we're going to discuss um, is Dirty Laundry by, we're still undecided whether it's VIP July or VIP July, <laughs> apologise for whichever one is wrong. Uh, it's an explicit story, it's 28,000 words, so it's the, the shortest one of the bunch that we have today. Um, and the summary goes, perhaps intelligence comes with its own dose of insanity. Dr. Castiel James Novak is a leading name in the mental health community. When Dean Winchester, self-proclaimed Golden Gardens killer, lies down on his couch for the first time, Castiel feels it. Dean Winchester is exactly who he says he is, and Castiel Novak is exactly who Dean makes him out to be. I loved that in that this one started out like it could have even been shorter. Like it, it could have been okay. We're going to go into spoiler territory here, but um, Dean comes to see Cass as a therapist obviously and um over time um they get closer and and what to start kind of a relationship that's more than just a therapist one but then Cass asks Dean if he would stop killing people if he asked him to and then they kind of get into this stasis where they're, they're basically having sex in return for Dean not killing anyone <laughs> And I f- it could have even ended then if they if if that she'd wanted to like it was that was an, a good like a, a you know a, a still point I guess in the story, but then then it kind of went, you know, descended into the <laughs> the, the the darkness, where Cass just starts wondering what it would be like if you know he had joined in kind of thing. I don't know. I liked I liked that at the start it was kind of one thing and then it kind of just even devolved into a darker thing afterwards yeah it kind of um almost almost kind of teases at the beginning that maybe Cass is how should we say not quite as in the murder husband's trope as Dean is with this one but actually it definitely fully ends up with uh, we're in full spoiler territory anyway (laughs) Um, basically (laughs) ends up with uh you know Cass picking Dean's victims and basically having a uh like a pet serial killer on a leash at the end of this one. Um, And then, of course, going that little bit further and getting involved himself, um, which he can obviously tell himself is to protect Dean, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you're doing it, you're doing it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I liked that because uh, Cass was sort of um, almost a celebrity kind of doctor at the beginning, he's quite a popular figure. Um, And then once he brought Dean into his kind of public persona and then they ended up with Destiel trending on Twitter and stuff <laughs> this kind of meta kind of thing going on I thought that was funny I liked that I, I liked sort of the, the perverse pleasure that Cass took in having like um, Dean pushed to the forefront like that and knowing exactly yeah. who Dean was and, and <clears throat> knowing that nobody else knew um, I think like when they went to the ball and um and like they were all taking photos of him and like that little internal monologue 
of Cass's where he's just like, yeah, they, none of them know. I thought that was really cool. And yes. Yeah. There's a lot of power play in this one. Mm. Yeah. Where he's like, he, he's in control of the whole thing and he loves it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think for, for that reason, he sometimes, he, he, well, Cass comes across as being quite cold in this one uh, mm. for most of it because he's not, like, they're not really in a relationship because they're in love, although later on they sort of do kind of admit to each other that they do, they do love each other, I guess. But um, most of it is just for, the, for that, uh, the power and submissive, you know, for Dean. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of like power exchange in this one, and that you know the the only reason Dean isn't killing is because Cass has asked him to, and that's quite a heady thing for Cass to know, I guess. Like mm. that he has that much power because essentially what it comes down to is like you know somebody being alive or dead is is just on Cass's word. Yeah, and that's obviously like a a really big like kind of powerful rush for him to know that which Dean does kind of clock on quite early in this this story that Cass is a lot more like him than Cass realizes he is yeah um and kind of keeps suggesting that and pushes that and I guess there's always the question of like how much of how Cass ended up was because of Dean pushing that and telling him he was like that mm-hmm. and how much you know was naturally him to start with but that's an impossible thing to know, I guess, <laughs> outside of the bounds of this 28,000 word story. But um, I thought it was quite interesting because Dean is, is very much pushing from the beginning the fact that Cass is a lot more like him than he realises. Yeah. And obviously that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in the end. Yeah. Like, I, I like the way that Dean kind of, it, at first it almost seems like Dean's the one in control. Like, Dean's kind of the proactive one he turns up on his doorstep a couple of times and Cass is sort of like a little bit intimidated at first because he's not sure he's like hovering in that kind of is he is he really who he says he is is he this killer or is he just kind of like in his own little world mm-hmm. um and I found that really interesting and I think one of my favorite scenes was when um he turns up on his doorstep for I think it's the second time and he takes Cass on a oh gosh this is so spoilery but um he takes Cass on a ride to show him the graves that he's moved and I just love that push and pull right there that's like I think that's like the turning point that's kind of like the snap where like Cass sort of goes for him and he's like see you are exactly like me and I just I really love that dynamic I thought it was really well done yeah yeah that's a really good scene I think and we Mm. get like a little like like a, a baby step towards that I guess the first time that Dean mm. turns up at his house and he turns up and he's like got like messy like um, jeans on or, and stuff like that because he's just been turns out that he's just been in a fight um, mm. he hasn't killed somebody but the way he turns up it's almost like Dean wants Cass to think that he just killed somebody like he's pushing yeah. Cass to see how he reacts um yeah. And it's very telling that Cass's first reaction isn't to tell Dean to get out or to call the police or to anything. It's to offer to wash his clothes. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I think, like, from that point onwards, like, Cass is done, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 
I was going to say stick a knife in him, but with this with this trope, that's <laughs> that could be very literal. Um, <laughs> There was obviously quite a lot of uh, research done for this one as well, I think, because I was was reading through it. I've, I've read this one before, but I read back through it again um, just before we did the podcast to get it fresh in my mind. And I was definitely noticing um, kind of different things that Cass was thinking about Dean, like during his therapy, like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't think that Dean kills for this reason or for that reason because of this thing and because of that thing. Like, he doesn't think that it's um, for passion because he doesn't use knives and all these other kind of different things and um i thought that was quite interesting like there's a lot of like little details packed into this story even though it's a shorter one Mm. and i did like um the like i guess it all comes to a head when after they've been together for quite some time and they when they go to the ball and they meet meg there and then what happens with her and that was sort of a really a, another t- turning point, I guess, where um, Cass kind of let Dean off his leash again. <laughs> you know, like, why don't you go and do this? And he's like, really? <laughs> that, I, <laughs> I really liked that. I mean, I, mm. I didn't like it. I thought it was horrible, but, you know, <laughs> um, I enjoyed that he um, kind of gave Dean back his, um, his coping mechanism, I guess. You know, he wasn't just holding tight to him anymore. He let him go again, which was interesting. But even so, he was still very much in control. Like, I found it really fascinating that they're they're going away for a few days and he basically tells Dean that, okay, like, you're going to be outside of your your usual kind of hunting grounds, so I will let you off the leash for the time that we're there. But he does it with such strict bounds. Like he he knows so much about Dean psychologically. He knows that he still needs these boundaries to not kind of go completely off the rails. So he literally get, like gives him a curfew, like the amount of time that he's allowed to go and scout out, kind of okay, a, a person, a victim that he wants. So he gives him like two hours or four hours or whatever it ends up being yeah. um, that he can go and scout this. But then it's like, and at that point it's closed and you have to come back and you have to rein it in and you have to just be the the dean on a leash again after that it's just really really interesting like fascinating the whole dynamic in this one yeah mm-hmm. uh, okay so the third fic that we're going to talk about is called from grace and uniform um it's by sultan halo and thursday's wayward writer um this one was published in 2017 and it's 94,000 words it's a bit longer again um, and it's also explicit and the summary goes like this when fbi agent dean winchester was first assigned to the ghosts case he was expecting it to be the same as any other serial killer hunt frustrating dead ends a trail of bodies unending paperwork what he wasn't expecting was for it to be interrupted by a mysterious alpha calling himself cass knowing far too much about him and offering up not just a lead but concrete information on his mother's killer as the two set off in search of justice for Mary Winchester and the countless other victims of his Azor masters, Dean struggles to come to grips with himself. Despite his whirlwind attraction to Cass, he knows that exposing himself to his colleagues as an omega instead of the beta he prepares he, he pretends to be would be a mistake. Nothing can happen between the two of them, not without Dean losing everything he knows. But resisting the mysterious alpha isn't nearly as easy as he anticipated no matter the dark secrets the man carries with him. So you may have gleaned from that, this is an, um, 
ABO Omegaverse fic. Yeah, we haven't done one of these in a while. Up. Yeah, there's <laughs> a variety in there for everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the one question that I got once um, I shared that we were covering this particular story. Um, so, yes, I guess it's a spoiler or more of a reverse spoiler. Something saying something that's not in the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was asked very specifically, um, just from somebody who read the summary, whether Cass murdered Mary. And the answer to that one is definitely no, that is not what this story is about. <laughs> okay. um, so just putting that out there for anybody who hasn't read it and who, who wonders that and thinks that they wouldn't like reading that, um, that is actually not the route that the story takes at all. So Yes, no, Azazel is definitely the bad guy. <laughs> I mean, the baddest. Whereas Cass is very questionably <laughs> not the good guy. <laughs> but the baddest of the bad guys or should we just say he's he's the killer the main killer of mary yes (laughs) yes because this is definitely a story where we're dealing with two killers two very different types of killers i guess yeah um so the main i guess this story is very being a megaverse i guess it's very focused on the romance um side of it i mean there's not Obviously, there's an underlying thread of the mystery and the the search for the killer and all that sort of thing. But the the majority of the fic is um, the two of them being like true mates and attracted to each other and having some really, you know, slick filled (laughs) hot sex (laughs) during this one. Um, So I guess the, the focus isn't really so much on the the murder husband's part of it it's more yeah. the, uh, that's the, uh, still, the unraveling yeah. psychological that's still a main part of the plot but yeah Sorry, quite God. right quite right murder <laughs> husbands but wetter than usual sorry sometimes i say something and then i hear it afterwards and i'm like hmm. <laughs> okay that was a good one i liked it that's a, that's a really good tagline for that fit. <laughs> mm. I don't know what oh. I was going to say about it. <laughs> Just that <laughs> mental image is like, whoa. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I was going to ask, um, so this is one of those fics where you kind of get an inkling i guess um all the way through what's going on like you definitely know because we have both a dean point of view and a cast point of view in this one yeah, so we are yeah. aware the whole way through that Cass is more than he's presenting himself at as though it i think it's an interesting perspective in this one in that although Cass very carefully controls the information that dean has he never actually lies to dean at all in this story mm-hmm. um he just very like I said, very carefully controls the information that Dean is given. Um, yeah. Until obviously the shit hits the fan at the end of the story <laughs> and everything, everything comes out. There's, a, um, there's an element but, uh, of um, a real kind of unreliable narrator thing going on with him. Like it's interesting because the other two are, are only from Dean's point of view. Is that right? No. Mm-hmm. And Cass on the other one. So but Cass they're, point they're only from the point, point, yeah, point of view point. of the person who's not the, the killer to start with, I guess. So having Cass, having both of their points of view in this story is really an, a different kind of um, way of approaching it, I guess. I thought it was really interesting that even though we do have that 
Cat's point of view. So theoretically, we know what's going on with him. He is such an unreliable narrator that even when the kind of twists are all fully revealed at the end, um, there are still some surprises there. Like it, it's not a surprise necessarily that Dean is uh, sorry that Cass is a killer or any of that kind of stuff. But there's a lot more to it than that, and we that that you don't get until those last couple of chapters because he's like I said, such an unreliable narrator that the reader is taken in by him as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, I um I really like the manipulation in it. It for me it was re- really reminiscent of like season 6 cast. Um mm-hmm. that kind of like as you say not not necessarily lying but withholding the truth in a very strategic way. Um there's like a bit where they're in the car and and Dean starts to talk about the red tape that Cass referenced earlier and like Cass immediately like sort of manipulates him and, and starts like touching him and stuff knowing that their their bond will sort of win and distract him and I thought that was really interesting yeah yeah the, the ABO aspect in this definitely does give way to some very <laughs> I mean they are very hot scenes and I'm not compl- not complaining at all in the slightest here um, but Cass definitely does use um, sex to manipulate Dean a lot in this one. It's all fully consenting the whole way through, but the way that Cass uses it actually becomes like as as you kind of read on, you can see that it's something kind of deliberate that he's playing with to his own advantage. And yeah, I really liked that as well. It was done well, I think, because somehow even though you know he's like manipulating him, he's doing that deliberately to distract him from talking about certain things. Mm. He, they managed to do it without it kind of feeling like particularly skeevy or <laughs> weird like it doesn't feel like Cass is just using sex to throw Dean off his trail like you very much see it from Cass's point of view that he's you know fully participating in this whole experience yeah. it's not they, they somehow managed to write it without it feeling skeevy and creepy and like Dean is just mm-hmm. being used in that way um because obviously it's, we it's get still, that Cass's point of view it's so. still creepy but not you know like a sexual predator kind of way <laughs> it's yeah it's yeah. creepy in a what what is really going on here kind of way yeah yeah i think it's i think they did a really good job of making it very clear that the, the feelings on both sides were very genuine i think that was the kind of main thing really rather than i think that's what took away from the creepiness of it otherwise if he was just doing it for the sake of doing it or for sex or whatever it wouldn't have it would have been a bit more hollow but because the feeling was there i thought that was quite clever yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I like, that makes it makes me sound really messed up, say that I like it. I like it in fic, okay, people? <laughs> um, but, <laughs> really like, the um, the the stalking aspect of this, um, which, again, is, is kind of reminiscent of um, Red Right Hand, in a way, where, you know, that Cass knows a lot more about Dean than Dean knows about mm. Cass. And it's only kind of slowly revealed throughout the story exactly how much Cass knows and how long he's known that information <laughs> mm. um, and that he knew Dean a long time before Dean knew him that kind of stuff um, and I love stories like that and this particular reason why is because I love watching for those tiny little slip ups <laughs> where I'm just, I'm just like waiting for them to accidentally say something they shouldn't know or just you know allude to something that they shouldn't be aware of yet yeah. and i don't know i love the anticipation of waiting for them to mess up when there's been that kind of storyline <laughs> so. yeah yeah well i was gonna say my 
favorite part of this story is actually the last um, couple of chapters because as you said the the kind of romance part takes the front seat in the first kind of half of the fic really mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of they're just kind of on this long road trip and it's just them and they're staying in motels and it's it's very much them but obviously once they get to their destination and the kind of really like the plot stuff starts to kick in mm-hmm. um, that's that's almost always my favorite part of any story as much as I'm here for the smut as much as anybody else it's great but <laughs> I do love like when I can get to that like edge of my seat plot kind of point and um, I, I really like that this one had such a great build-up and you can really see but anybody who um, likes to pay attention to kind of like story structure and that kind of stuff you can really see them kind of building towards that like climax in this one and then it hits and we have have this really good falling action afterwards which i like like i i like that um we have we have the big reveal i won't spoiler what it is but um we have the big reveal some stuff goes down there's a really nice kind of action sequence going on while all this is happening um which again was really well written because sometimes writing action sequences like that it can be hard to visualize exactly what's happening or um keep things straight and kind of like fight scenes and stuff i know a lot of writers avoid them for that reason because they can be a little bit more kind of challenging in that way Mm. um but this one was super clear played out in my head like a movie as i was reading it It was great (laughs) um but then it doesn't end there it gives us this little kind of bit afterwards where kind of at that point everything changes like Dean could have made certain decisions but instead he chooses to make different ones and that's the part that I love the most I love the part where it sounds terrible I love the part where the second murder husband participant or I guess the most reluctant one makes the choice on their own if that makes sense (laughs) they have to make it on their own for me to really be invested in the story I think um because there's, there's, I'm sure there's a, a valid, um, you know, story out there where it's it's all about the manipulation and stuff. Because indeed, the last one, um, Dirty Laundry, was much more kind of on that front, where there's that push and pull and manipulation the whole way through. But my favorite parts in this one and in Red Right Hand are basically where Dean starts making the decisions for himself. I feel like that was a really long-winded rant about nothing. I'm sorry. I just really like murder <laughs> husbands. <laughs> no, it wasn't about nothing, was it? People are going to start avoiding me in the street after this episode. <laughs> What's wrong with her? <laughs> um, Ducky, did you have anything to add about this particular one? Um, just little tidbits, really. One of my favourite bits was um, somewhere midway through, and it was um, Cass's just very sly amusement at the ghost nickname is that oh is that too much of a spoiler <laughs> um <laughs> right. i just i think, uh, I think, I think that early. one's okay yeah that's <laughs> okay that's pretty obvious I just, yeah <laughs> i just really because i i sort of like from the off i was like right i know who the ghost is going to be um and i was like i'm ready for this come on bring it on um but i just loved his little like again his inner monologue his little like oh my god what a stupid name kind of thing i just thought that was a really nice little touch um <laughs> And yeah, and I just love um, that the whole way through, his intentions, like Cass's intentions, are technically good. Um, he's just like going about it in a really fucked up way. 
Um, <laughs> so I just yeah. So that, that's basically all my comments. And I did I did enjoy it, that's even though I'm not a massive fan of ABOs in general. But I thought it was really well done. It's kind of a tagline for the entire trope, really. Like, you know, they're just they're in love, but they they're just really fucked up about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I do think that those quite often make the most satisfying murder husbands stories when although you might not agree with their way of doing things you can understand their motives for doing them yeah mm. now they're not necessarily good motives or forgivable motives i'm not saying <laughs> like again they're not really redeemable characters but i think you have to be able to understand the motive like you have to be able to say okay like in this one like you said Cass has really kind of good intentions the whole way through mm-hmm. um and we've come back to that kind of a, a theme that pops up um a bit in red right hand as well where you know every other way has been tried kind of um and, mm. and dean has been let down by the system as it stands um and sometimes when you've you've reached that point then at that point you think outside of the box you go beyond the system um and that's kind of where where Cass is at in this fic that he's yeah but won't spoil exactly um, i'm trying to work out how to say this without being horrendously spoilery but it's, uh, yeah his his intentions are good his actions not so much yeah yeah the only other way is to murder apparently (laughs) oh dear i need to go and read some like extremely fluffy things after (laughs) after all this kind of (laughs) violence okay so i'll give Mm. you some nice fluffy wrecks we'll get you we'll we'll get you back to where you should be (laughs) (laughs) rex speaking of rex yes um, so we've got some other um murder husbands fix that we can recommend to you I say we, I mean Mal does. <laughs> Probably Ducky. Because <laughs> I haven't written. Okay, well, I was going to say, we can probably recommend a large swathe of Ducky's back catalogue effect <laughs> for this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so, kind of a one-trick pony. <laughs> but it's such a good trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so instead, I will... Um, I'm gonna have to bring up this one. I think it's this is a story that every single time I open it and see how many kudos are on it, I'm always surprised because I feel like it should be at least ten times what it has. Um, it's definitely a staple for this particular trope, but clearly not as well known as I think it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is um, conventional psychopathy part one um, by I believe the author's name is Mayalane, Mayalane, maybe? Um, and the summary of that one is, <coughs> Castiel is a cleaner, one of the agency's best. He and his handler, Dean Winchester, have a high success rate in a world where the criminals aren't imprisoned for their crimes, but instead are captured by licensed serial killers who dispose of them, doing what they do best while getting paid for it. Cass doesn't form attachments, doesn't leave himself open to a risk like that. But Dean wormed his way into Cass's life and into his house. But does Dean realise what falling in love with a serial killer really means? Mm. Um, so this is it's very interesting because there's this whole aspect of being a legal serial killer. Yeah. 
which is kind of an interesting twist on the trope, I guess. Um, and obviously, you know, everyone in the story, they have reasons for why they do the things they do, how they ended up the way they did. Um, but it's it's really well written, and I just love that kind of slight slight twist um, on this one. So, and that one is seventy five thousand words. I don't know if I mentioned that before, but it's a good chunky fic you can stick your teeth into. Um, so I would definitely have to recommend that one to anybody who's intrigued by the troop in general. Ducky, did you have any that you wanted to add? Okay, I have a, a confession to make. Most of the, the tropes that I read um, for Murder Husbands outside of Destiel. Um, so not entirely mm-hmm. appropriate. I mean, <laughs> there's a Hannibal fic that, that was great, but obviously, um, so, so unfortunately, I don't really, that would be relevant to this. Would say, you could say it would be Hannibal disappointing fix, if anyway. Hannibal Fix, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it would be disappointing if Hannibal Fix weren't, you know, <laughs> didn't have this trope. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you really need to. Um, I can probably recommend another one then. There's another story which has this uh, similar kind of tropes going on here. Um, um, the story is called Saviors in the Details by Paper Ann. Um, it's 70,000 words. And this is um, a kind of bodyguard, assassin, hitman kind of AU. Um, it's also a little bit of a comedy of errors. So it sort of has almost a, a lighter take on the trope. There's some real like dark comedy in this, um, which I think probably comes out in the summary. So <clears throat> here goes. If Dean was anything, he was stubborn. The means didn't matter as long as the mission was achieved. His purpose, serving, protecting, and putting his life on the line for the sake of others. Fresh out of high school, he enlisted. During his time with the Marines, Dean found himself hap- and happily discovered public service was his calling. After the military, he didn't miss a beat, joining the police force. Dean knew he wanted more, and combined with his brother's urging, he poured every spare second into his education, and after fighting like hell, he joined the CIA. But then Dean's life changed, and it sucked. Flipping through online job listings wasn't cutting it, so Sam offered another suggestion. Except, after hearing the pitch, the job sounded too good to be true. The contract weighed more than Dean could bench press. After the 50th page, he zoned out and lost interest. The read was boringly ordinary. The gig was right up his alley. When Sam vouched for its legitimacy, Dean saw freedom, an escape from mundane life, a chance to get back in the field, a golden opportunity. He was so fucking wrong. Within five minutes of his first day, Dean knows he's made a horrible mistake. Um, Wow, (laughs) that's quite a summary. (laughs) It's it's quite it's quite the summary, yeah. Um, so there's definitely a kind of comedy of errors episode uh, element in this, in that Dean gets into something without really paying attention to what it is that he's getting into. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a really good story, kind of nice, nice meaty one, seventy thousand words, um, lots of inappropriate humor and sexual tension and pining throughout all of this. Yeah. So. And I think, if I remember correctly, just off the top of my head, I think this one was a DCBB. So you can also have some lovely art, yes, by uh, Tell Tale of the Stars. So if you like images of art boys when they're a bit blood splattered, <laughs> this is one for you. No, I think we should. I think we should make Ducky talk about her other fix. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> because uh, you have a work in progress posting at the moment so you you called yourself a one trick pony there um, <laughs> I like to think of it much more as you're definitely like the go to name for this trope <laughs> like anybody who <laughs> kind of has the urge to read something like this 
like your your earth through pages where they're going to to find some of the stuff so mm-hmm. how how many of these kinds of stories do you have you written now do you think um i, I don't know <laughs> i think probably like i think probably like 80 percent of what's on my ao3 is murder husbands and not all of them are tagged either because there's a couple where there's one that I wrote um, in like 2014, which is like a Dexter one, which I've never tagged, I don't think anyway, as Murder Husband, but it, it definitely is. Um, yeah, there's there's a few. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I can sometimes write nice things. I just, <laughs> I just <laughs> struggle writing fluff, I guess. Um, well, do you want to maybe give a pitch for surprise you're dead to everybody as you have that currently posting oh my god um in progress <laughs> the elevator pitch yeah give yeah, us the elevator okay. pitch for that thing. okay um so surprise you're dead is um it's a zombie fic um if anyone's seen um santa clarita diet it's basically that but with like more gore and more sass um so Cass is basically turned into a zombie um but he's he's perfectly he's highly functioning he looks normal he just really likes to eat people um <laughs> because um, and and Dean and Cass have their own little family they have um Claire and Jack um adopted their older their older teenagers um but they they have this really nice standard life and then Cass is a zombie and Dean's like right okay so we're killing people now okay then let's let's just get on with it then um and it's just kind of like wacky hijinks ensue um yeah uh Cass becomes kind of like kind of bitchy um and very horny and Dean is just like what is my life become and the kids are just taking advantage of the situation <laughs> they're kind of like well we're allowed to swear now because dad's eating people so um, <laughs> you know <laughs> that kind of that kind of yeah, all's fair you know so uh yeah and um i think it's like in the third chapter so far that Cass eats balthazar um because he was being a dick <laughs> so Cass was like yeah he's he's gotta go he's he's, he's gotta go and yeah as i say wacky hijinks basically so it, it's kind of um definitely not anywhere near as serious as red right hand as i'm sure you can probably tell um but it is it it is you know kind of silly um but if you want to laugh and have gory stuff then yeah it's a good fic for that i'd say yeah i love the fact that it's tagged to murder husbands and then healthy relationships right after it (laughs) and and also Cass is a zombie but he's high functioning (laughs) (laughs) but that's the thing their relationship is really sweet like there's no manipulation it is just straightforward they love each other and Dean thinks the world of him and Dean would do anything for him and vice versa it's you know it's a two-way street and he's just like well my husband's dead you know so what are you gonna do you're gonna help your husband kill people so that he can live or not live I don't know um yeah so you know it's a, it's a obvious it's a good solution <laughs> as far as Dean's concerned um yeah and let's say the kids are along for the ride as well um so yeah yeah, the, the inclusion of Claire and Jack is a stroke of genius, I think. So <laughs> <laughs> they're very they're very unsympathetic to Cass's situation when it's first discovered. Um, 
she Claire is like I, I really need my own car and the parents are determined that she's not going to get her own car because the last time they bought her a car she drove it into a pond or something and so as soon as like they realise that Cass might be dying or has a problem she's like right so do I get his car then you know that kind of thing so. <laughs> oh Claire she's like come on <laughs> yeah and, and Jack's just kind of like adorable so you know and and worried about everyone and making sure that everyone's nice to people and that they kill people in a nice way you know so, yeah. <laughs> killing Some people in a nice way <laughs> and <laughs> eating dicks like Bellfella in the the non-sexy way <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but it's in it's slightly different from most of my fix because I um as I, I, I get comments quite a lot saying, why didn't you ever write from Cass's point of view? Um, and this one, it switches perspectives. So one chapter is Dean, the next chapter is Cass. Um, mm-hmm. So it gives you a little bit of insight into how Cass is feeling. And as I said, he, he gets kind of sassy um, because he's, he's, when he's alive, he's, he's kind of patient and nice and, uh, and he kind of loses the inhibitions when he's uh, undead he gets hangry yeah exactly that's exactly it yeah (laughs) awesome well if that sounds like a good read head on over to (laughs) Duffy's profile and read that one it's a lot of fun so far (laughs) okay Um, one more thing that we wanted to mention in this episode um, is the 2021 Fic Faces auction Um, for anybody who doesn't know what that is it's a yearly auction of fan works um, and it's fan art, fan fic. There are people who do um, podcasts and physical crafts, and I've, I've seen all kinds of things um, in this auction. Um, all the money raised goes directly to Random Acts. Um, and last year they raised um, $5,000, I think, last year alone. I think the total amount that they have raised so far um, in the years they've been doing it is over $11,000. Um, that's been raised for Random Acts. Um, there is an auction catalogue where you can go and see all of the um, writers and artists that are taking part. Um, and once the auctions are live, which by the time we're talking to you now, they will be live. Um, uh, the auction's going to run from June 11th to June the 28th. Um, and you can put in bids and see if you can win somebody get them to tell your story or draw art for you or whatever whatever it is that they're looking for they've got quite a variety of things out there um so i will put a link to that um in the blog post for today in case anybody would like to go and have a look at the auctions donate to random acts and get themselves some potential fic or art Links to all of the fix that we've talked about today will also be available on the blog post on mixtapebookclub.com and if you'd like to get in touch with us to tell us about your favorite murder husband's fic or um, anything else you wanted to tell us um, on the website it's got all our contact details but we're under um, mixtape book club on most of the social platforms as well or you can email us contact at mixtapebookclub.com or if you want to chat with us you can join the profound bond discord server and come and join us in our channel there um next episode we will be discussing um pride fix it's going to be the end of june pride month so what better time to discuss a full rainbow colored array of dusty elfic 
list, yes. And we have to say a really big thank you to Ducky Boos for coming to talk to us today. Thank you. Of course, it's been awesome. Lovely to have you. Thanks. Thanks for putting up with my embarrassing fangirling and squealing. <laughs> uh, honestly, that's I I because I write kind of niche stuff. It's always absolutely amazing to meet people who who read it, and especially someone as like big in the fandom as you. That's that's made my day. Honestly, I'm honestly quite proud of myself that I held it together so well throughout this episode. <laughs> so. <laughs> And thank you, everyone else, for listening, and we will talk to you again very soon. And as always, remember that the story isn't over until we say it is. Mm-hmm.